Hello, and welcome to Matinee Screening. My name is John Baschini. I'm Joel Leonard. And in celebration of Valentine's Day, we are going to be focusing on romance this week with three, I would say, pretty seminal Romantic. additions to the romance genre. Uh, we're going to be talking sure. about When Harry Met <laughs> Sally, The American President, and Drive Me Crazy in probably descending order of reputation. Um, we're so says you. With- <laughs> so says me. Uh, we're going to start off with When Harry Met Sally, which was directed by Rob Reiner, starring Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan when Meg Ryan still had a career. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of this movie, Joel? Because this is something you hadn't seen before, right? Yeah, no. Um, this is one of those ones that, you know, you're kind of embarrassed that you hadn't seen before and you go mysteriously quiet at parties when it comes up in conversation. Um, so I'm really glad I saw it. It was really, really, really good. It's uh, It's pretty much kind of this, can a man and a woman be friends without sex complicating the relationship kind of stories, which I guess in this day and age we've had several, several times, but this was kind of the first one and probably the best one uh, to, I guess, just explore the differences and how, how these two people approach relationships, not just romantic relationships, but friendly relationships with each other and with the other friends that they have in this movie. Uh, It picks up at the very beginning with them meeting right after college and goes through a couple of their chance meetings throughout the years until about 10 years later when they do actually finally start to become friends. It It was really good, but the main reason it was really good is because Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan both gave fantastic performances in this movie they probably have between them 75 to 80 percent of the lines in this movie is one or the other and i think they both gave really great performances many of the scenes are just the two of them talking and so i think they really pulled that off really well right and i think that the a lot of romantic comedies nowadays um get kind of caught up in contrived plot twists like anything Catherine heigl does where it's She's a newspaper reporter and, and can't find a man. And this one isn't about that. It's just two normal people having normal conversations. And the relationship evolves very organically. And it, it relies a lot on the strength of the dialogue, which, as you said, is, is pretty fantastic. Yeah. Um, they have great chemistry. Uh, the supporting characters, um, with Carrie Fisher's only other Star Wars role of, of note, I would say. Um, you, didn't, you haven't seen Blues Brothers? Oh, I guess not. No, and you now you've outed me for not seeing Blues Brothers. Um, uh, but it was it was a movie that you you know you can watch over and over again. This is your first time seeing it. This was probably my fourth or fifth time seeing it, and and it gets you every time, and you really just kind of fall in love with these characters over and over again. So it definitely holds up, even though it was made what twenty years ago. 20, yeah, yeah, twenty-two years ago, and so um, it's it's really interesting because you know it opens up in nineteen seventy-seven when they're in college, and I'm thinking like, oh man, that's that's ancient. This is going to be a period piece, <laughs> and it's like, oh no, because this movie's twenty years old in itself, and so you know that's really just ten years or I guess fourteen years ago, and but it's not. You know, it's it's a movie where that the specific time period that it's set in isn't really that important. No, it's not. Um, I don't know. 
it, it's and it comes down to whether or not the yeah again you were talking about how the can men and, men and women be friends motif has been done over and over again um but definitely not to the level that this one has and even though this kind of movie probably it's tempting to think no men and women can't be friends i don't know i i got you kind of evolve with them as first you like them being friends and then you want them to get together right yeah i I think they were genuine friends for such a big part of the movie um i mean it is a love story but it's that doesn't negate that it's also a friendship story yeah, and I can see, and you also see how many movies have been inspired by this one. Yeah, yeah. Throughout the past 20 years. I mean, most of them by Meg Ryan. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it was one of those kind of origins of, of a lot of the genres that we've seen. So even yeah. though this came out before we were really going to movies, we've kind of been seeing this movie over and over again as, so, as long as we've been going With to movies. With kind of diminishing returns on it, so... Oh, certainly diminishing returns. Um, I see the best version of it. It's also fascinating that Billy Crystal makes such a great romantic lead, because you look at Billy Crystal, and it's not Gerard Butler or James Marsden or anybody else that you're like, ooh, he's dreamy. And even Meg Ryan, as pretty as she was back in 1989, it wasn't like a hot young actress. And I really liked that, that they felt like real people because they looked like real people. Right. Well, they they had, you know, kind of these these real world lives. Um, You know, you you saw them walk around and, you know, just wear normal clothes kind of eat at normal restaurants. Um, there's there's a scene where they're, they're messing with a karaoke machine, and oh man, nothing dates your movie like what the karaoke machine looks like in the background. Except Also, in Oklahoma, when Oklahoma still anybody knew what that musical was back in Yeah, when that was the like Broadway show that you would talk about, to talk about, like, oh, it's Broadway. Oh, and the computer that she used in that one scene. Oh yes. So it's it's not. So maybe yeah. it's not quite timeless. The story is timeless. Yeah, but there's the, there's the, a few telltale signs. You definitely got a sense of what New York was in the late 1980s. Yeah. Um, which I'm. I mean, people who know me know that I'm a sucker for any movie about New York ever. Um, and I also liked how they dealt with you know, former relationships because before they got together, which, sorry, I guess we should have said spoiler alert, <laughs> considering that's how we let off the, the podcast. Yeah. But um, it, it, I thought that they dealt with their past relationships really well as even though you break up with somebody, that never goes away. Right. Um, and, and getting over them is a long and, and drawn out process. And I thought that they did that really well. Yeah, yeah. Both of them were in long-term relationships, I guess in the throughout the movie because you know at the beginning of the movie neither one of them were in this long term relationship and we pick up with them meeting after both of them have have become recently single and probably my favorite uh, characters in in the in the entire movie were their friends yeah um, uh, Carrie Fisher and, and Bruno Kirby yeah uh, Mary and Jess and um, they're kind of the successful kind of traditional relationship where they meet on the first date and immediately have a connection and then they go get married and um, everything like that. And and they were such a nice foil to the non-traditional way in which 
uh, you know, Harry and Sally get together that I, I enjoyed their parts of the movie as much as I enjoyed Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really did enjoy them. And also, do you know who did the music on this movie? Just as kind of a fun little piece of trivia. I don't know. That would be Mr. Harry Connick Jr. Oh yeah. yeah. Credit I, I in... saw him in the credits. Um, his name kind of like popped up and I was like, Harry Connick, what's he doing here? <laughs> and the same thing with, uh, Nora Ephron who wrote the movie. And so oh, yeah. like Nora Ephron's, you know, a little bit of a, of a certain kind of genre that she's put in. So you're like, Oh wow. Nora Ephron, what are you doing here? I think Nora Ephron was like, I wrote when Harry met Sally and nobody's really questioned her since and not really noticed that she hasn't really made a good <laughs> movie since then. So, I mean, it's a, it's a quality calling card in, it, it in the entertainment is. industry to be able to say that you wrote Harry Met Sally. So would you say this is the best romantic comedy of all time or can you think of a, a better one? Um, okay, romantic comedy? I'll, yeah. I could probably give it to this one. Because um, it's solidly a romantic comedy. I don't think it's a romance like a no romance. no um yeah like uh, i might come up with one after we're done and kick myself for it but yeah right now i can pretty safely say it's i mean because it is it's a it's a great romantic comedy that kind of the genre is built on um a lot of romantic movies before this were just straight romance movies or had other other elements you know Casablanca being the easy classic one was still kind of a noir movie. Still had the hats and shadows. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and Princess Bride was, you know, a solid romance movie, but was still, you know, a fantasy movie as well. Yeah. And had the, the kings and swords. And so... And it's, yeah, you're talking about the, the, the touchstones of, of the movies that came after it. Like, there's the big speech at the end. There's the the running the down conflict. the street trying to stop the girl. There's the running down the street. There's the conflict that seems to break up their relationship at around minute 70. Mm-hmm. So you know exactly how long it's going to be until the movie's over. And, I mean, it wasn't the first movie to do those things, but it did it so well that you can see how it's been copied. It's, yeah, it built the blueprint for how to make these. Um, but I think I think what I'm most impressed about is having not seen it for all these years, um, I still knew about the movie, knew a lot about the movie, but really the only thing, watching it, I realized the only scene that I knew about was the famous diner scene. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, the thing has been quoted over and over again and always shown in, like, the, you know, clips of the movie and the highlight reels and stuff. But as funny as that scene is, so much more of the movie is just as funny as that scene. Um, and just as silly, just as well written and just as well acted. And so, you know, every, everything, it's, it's not, it's the most famous scene, but I wouldn't say it's the best part of the movie and and nothing, nothing against that scene, but the rest of the movie is so good. Yeah, I don't. And it's almost, you almost kind of forget about that scene after it's done. I mean, it's certainly a funny scene, but the other one, it doesn't stand head and shoulders above the rest of them. So it's kind of interesting that that one. Was the scene that kind of gets all the... Gets all the credit and stuff. Yeah. So we're going to move on from um, one fantastic script to a movie written by one of the greatest screenwriters, in my opinion, of our generation, which is Mr. Aaron Sorkin. 
and The American President. Um, this is a movie I saw the first time just a year or so ago and kind of had written it off for a long time for an arbitrary reason is that the first time I had heard of it, it was showing on Lifetime. And I was like, well, if it's on Lifetime, then it can't be any good. Um, and how wrong I was. Oh. I, I adore this movie. This movie um, is amazing. What, okay, I'm glad you think so This movie is so, so well. good. I was, and this was directed by this is Rob, Rob Reiner, Reiner too, as yeah. well. So I'd forgotten that. Man could do so. romance. Um, but yeah, tell me why you loved it as much as you did, Joel. Oh man, this movie, uh, this is one, so Aaron Sorkin is kind of, I guess, famously known for the West Wing as much as anything else. And so, th- I mean, this came out before the West Wing, and so this is like his first take on politics and, I guess, the White House and the presidency and what all goes into that. And so it's an interesting setting to put it in, to put a love story in. And as much as I, you know, really adore the love story in this movie and I'm rooting for it, what's really fascinating about this is this surrounding environment of the of the political specter and what all the president's doing. And it just, it feels so frantic the whole time. And, you know, he did the same thing in the West Wing. It's just so much talking and so much moving. And the same thing happens in this movie. People are in and out of doors and three conversations are being carried on at the same time. And this love story kind of like weaves its way into all of this. Uh, And it's just, it, it's just it kind of catches you off guard, even though you know going into it that it's oh, it's the president falling in love with with this girl. It's still it kind of sneaks its way into in the midst of all this political franticness. You can almost tell in a way that Aaron Sorkin's kind of passion for this one was in the political <laughs> arena and and how um, this romance would affect his campaign for reelection and and what it would mean politically. Um, and then you could see Rob Reiner being a lot more interested in, in the love story. And most of the time that wouldn't work. They would sort of cancel each other out and you'd kind of feel like you had two different movies, but I didn't get that at all just because the script was so good. And I mean, for all the stick Rob Reiner gets, uh, he's still a really great director. He is. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really thought that they switched well between that, um, as far as they never lost sight of the romance, which I thought was really adult, not in a, you know, NC-17 kind of way, but it was a very mature way. Yeah. Um, considering both these characters are in their 40s or 50s, we're meant to assume. I mean, they're, they're grown-ups. They're, they're, gr- um, they're adults in the adult world, yeah. And, and so you get that kind of West Wing top political drama with really sharp dialogue. Um, you also get the, the sappy romance part of it. So... Yeah, I think that this was an amazing movie that was not your pro, like typical love story because it's not. I didn't feel the way I usually do with a with a good love story. I felt more as I do with a with a social network or something else that Sorkin's done. Yeah, well, you can you know you can heap praises on this script forever because you know I said before that it feels all over the place and in complete control of itself at the same time. Um, There's also a bunch of people working. I mean, the actors are just, they caught them all in their prime. You have Michael Douglas, Annette Benning, Martin Sheen, Michael J. Fox, and Richard Dreyfus, just at the absolute pinnacle of their careers. Oh, and, man. It's like, so this, this is my favorite Michael Douglas role. Uh, and I mean, he's going to go down as Gordon Gecko, but this is, this is the one where it's just, it's the one where 
he entertains me the most, and I just, I feel so much for this character, and he's so endearing, and yeah, and Michael J. Fox is another one who's going to be known forever for Back to the Future, and, you know, kind of deservedly so, because it's an amazing franchise, he did a great job in it, but he acts amazingly in this movie, it's like, it's a kind of really compelling role, and, you know, in the first... I don't know, maybe hour of this movie, the role is kind of written off at this as this little busybody character, this kind of frantic pencil pushing sidekick. And it just it really comes into its own kind of in the second half of the movie and it it really grows in dimensions. It's it's just an impressive performance. And there's the scene that probably is the most famous scene in the movie where he comes into a press conference unexpectedly and, and just delivers a a firebrand of a speech attacking because most of the movie is, is Michael Douglas's character had lost his wife before he got elected the first time. And so his opposition could never run a, a, a personal attack on him. And right. they use the fact that he's romancing. Annette Benning was a, a lobbyist. I, I think yeah, she was is, a lobbyist. is what she was uh, as a, as an excuse to sort of go after him during the reelection campaign. And he comes out and just delivers an amazing speech which you know everybody knows sorkin can do and michael douglas i don't think there are many people better at delivering a a one-off speech so there are a lot of memorable scenes in this in this movie that you can just kind of look at it again and again and again and just admire well like every scene the dialogue feels great my favorite is the um the pool playing scene where they're talking about and it's it's a it's it's a really nicely done it's not I guess it's not that important or grandiose of a scene because it's just Michael Douglas and Martin Sheen, you know, playing pool and they're talking about uh, what kind of political hit would they take if he started dating this girl and, you know, how how would the points drop and fall? And, it's, you know, it's kind of something that nobody else in the world has to worry about. No. Um, and it's so... I mean, if, if you... If, if anybody else started who was single and had been you know, widowed for a respectable amount of time. If anybody else started dating somebody of their same age with a respectable job in a totally respectful way, it wouldn't be any deal whatsoever. But because it's the president, it made it a really interesting scenario. And one that could have been really, really bad in a lot of ways. Like yeah. It could have gone really hokey with it and, and, it was a difficult subject to make compelling, and I think that they did it. Well, it perfectly. is, it is, because so much of what they do is kind of in shorthand, is stuff that, you know, I don't necessarily know. I don't know what they're talking about when they say some of these things, because they're talking about, you know, political things. And so, but the way it's written, it never, it never talks down to you and, you know, takes a minute to go, you know, these points which, by the way, are how popular the president is and how likely right. he might get elected. you know. But at the same time, it's not brushed by in such a way that you're left going, oh, wait, I don't know why that's important. Right, and I think that that's something that is really great, and I think they love when movies, I hate when movies over-explain things between two characters who know what they're talking about shouldn't take time out of their conversation to explain it to each other if the other person already knows what they're talking about. Right. And so I really love when... Um, they drop phrases or, or shorthand or, or, or lingo in there that, that you don't necessarily know, but you can figure out through context clues or 
if you can't, it's not really that you still get the general gist of what they're saying. And so you feel like you're almost a fly on the wall of these two people having a conversation right. rather than them acting towards you. And you become very aware you're watching a movie yeah. rather than just watching a story. Right. Even, even if you don't get every word, you're never lost in a scene. No. And I think that's really something really difficult to do. Um, and I think that he Sorkin and, and Reiner did it really, really well. Right. They did. Um, <laughs> You know, because Reiner did both of these, it's like, it's really occurred to me now, I was like, Reiner knows how to direct some romance. Like, these two, and, I mean, I'm still going to say Princess Bride is my favorite one of his movies, but, like, oh man, he's he's really, like, he's got this down to do these romantic stories. And it's not something that's easy. I think that when you, people in, in Hollywood sort of, romantic comedies are what they're giving I think it might, it might, it's like, it's so easy to do it okay. You right. know, there, there are the beats, and there are the beats that were laid down by Harry and Sally, you know, at minute this, you do this, at minute this, you do this. And you can do an okay one in your sleep, but... To, and you can't do something, I mean, you can't, yeah, you can't really mess it up. You can mess up an action movie. You can mess up a drama. You, you can't really do a whole lot with the camera or the story or anything, but... When you do it well, I think it takes a, a lot of yeah. skill, and it's a, something that's really underappreciated. Whenever you look back at a, a really great romance, you, there's a difference between the really great ones and the really bad ones, and I think that comes down to the director and the writer. Yeah, but I mean, even with American President, you can see some of the same beats. You know, when you really break it down, they're inherently like, oh, <clears throat> the guy did something that's made the girl upset. It looks like they're broken up forever. You know, right. kind of thing. And then, oh, turn around at the last minute. And so, but but it did it in a new way, in a different way. And even though I watched those movies almost back to back, you know, this past week. I watched one one day and one the very next day. And it never felt like I was watching the same movie or even a similar movie. You know, so with the same director, same genre, same basic outline, you got two very different movies. Yeah, and I think that... I think when romance, when it's done well, it's probably my favorite genre. It's just so easy to do mediocre. And, and if you look at how much movies like Valentine's Day made, and mm. he's just not that into you, and some of these other ones, it doesn't look like audiences really care whether or not it's good or just okay. Because it's something you go see as a date movie on Valentine's Day, and, and the movie is almost kind of secondary. And it's a little disappointing, I think, because... There are some still really great romances out there, but yeah. it, it's one that I think television, or I mean, movie executives just kind of look at and say the quality isn't really as important as it would yeah. be with like an action movie or a drama. But I mean, the thing is, yeah, I'm probably never going to see Valentine's Day again. I've I've no. I've seen it once, and like maybe some crazy twist of fate, I'll be tricked into watching it again. But I've I've seen the movie. I'm never going to see it again. I kind of already want to watch American President again. Mm-hmm. Like I, and it's one that you're just going to watch over and over again, and even though you know what's going to happen, and that's something that that's I think kind of applicable to only to romances because I love some comedies, but I can't watch The Hangover Airplane once a week for a couple of months and have the same enjoyment as I would if I were to do that with one of my favorite romances yeah. or one of my favorite action movies or. Dramas I can only watch once a year, especially if they're really depressing. Especially those, so I those think hard ones to get through. The resale, not the, the yeah, almost like the resale value of of romances are so much higher when they're done to the level of the American President or when Harry Met Sally, um, as opposed to 
other genres. That's because they have this emotion and investment that you get in these characters that doesn't always exist in just plain comedies. Exactly. So now we're gonna. Now that we've talked about really great romances and ones, we're going that to move probably... on to classic, epic, untouchable films of the nineties, such as the nineteen ninety nine. I think absolute classic film, and it's a shame that it wasn't nominated <laughs> for Oscars. Is Drive Me Crazy? I think you better starring... review this one first. <laughs> starring. The pretty, pretty Adrienne Grenier and Miss Clarissa Explains It All, Melissa Joan Hart. This was made in 1999, and I think every 90s cliche in teen high school romances was just crammed into this movie. <laughs> so I'm going to ask Joel, what did you think of Drive Me Crazy? Um, so Drive Me Crazy, first of all, I am pretty sure I'm going to refer to these main characters as Sabrina and Entourage. Because I don't remember <laughs> what their real names are. And it doesn't matter, I don't think, right? I mean, no, they're, they're girl and boy. Right, so, yeah, okay. And, and there's, there's angry girlfriend on the side. So. There's angry girlfriend, there's, there's you know, kind of dirty friends, there's backstabbing. It's, it's a, I mean, yeah. it's a movie that I can't dislike or hate. Because it's kind of like being mad at a dog who wants to play with you while you're reading a book. And so you're like, no, dog, I want, I want to read this book now. But it's a dog. You can't be mad at it. It's only doing what it knows how to do. And that's how this movie is. You know, you're like, it's not the American president. It's not when Harry met Sally. But it's only doing what it knows how to do. And that's to make these dorky little teen romance movies that try real hard to connect with the youth of 1999. And the thing about these movies is everybody has that, I mean, I'm not saying everybody, I know a lot of people that have that genre that, like, it doesn't matter how bad the movie is, you're still going to like it. And 90s high school comedies are that for me. I don't really care how bad it is. I, I, I just love them. And this was a movie that you just, I sat down and I just laughed <laughs> at it. And I had so, I had so much fun watching this movie. Because it's not good. Nobody's going to sit here and say that it's good. Yeah. Is- um, it, it, but I had so much fun with the stupid plot twist. <laughs> and just there's an example of Melissa Joan Hart in the beginning of the movie wears her mom's halter top. It's, it, it, it's a halter top that stops at where her rib cage is about halfway down. And she's walking around in school with... A tiny red halter top. And then later in the movie, she has a bra on and then decides to get all modest <laughs> when somebody sees her in a bra, despite the fact she wore something about that revealing to school the couple days before. Yep. It's it. Um, and it's so 90s. Yeah. It's so unbelievably 90s. Even though this was 1999. This wasn't even like Clueless in 1995. This was everything like, we're making the 90s go out with a bang the, with this movie. So yeah, so... The the plot of this movie is that there's this boy and girl who don't like each other, but they're next-door neighbors, and they're in different social cliques in school, which you know always spells hilarity and hijinks. And, oh, and Entourage is, um, he's dating Ollie Larder. Yeah, I didn't know she was going to be in this movie. Yeah, that was a nice surprise. Who is a, I don't really know how to describe her, but she's a, a punk chick who's into... Social underground activism? politics and, yeah. and kind of social activism 
And she is a wannabe popular person who is chasing the bas- the basketball captain, yeah. not the football captain. I think that was their attempt at being a little bit different. They were like, everybody else wants to go for the football quarterback. I don't we're know. That was the, the thing. Basketball. I was like, oh, basketball. I guess it's winter. Nice halter <laughs> top winter. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess they were in California, but. I, I, I certainly hope so. <laughs> um, and and because they need a date for the the centennial dance which is a big deal which is the substitute for prom for this which yes which is a substitute for prom and because they need a date uh they decide to go to centennial together just as a joke yeah as a scam as yes they call it a scam throughout the whole movie which i'm like I don't think you, that word means what you think it means. Which was, yeah, I think the big thing in the 90s was losing a bet or or trying to make over a girl to win a bet or scamming. And there was a lot of low-risk hijinks going <laughs> yeah. on in, in 90s high school, apparently. Um, and, of course, they end up discovering things about each other they never knew and, and falling in high school puppy love. Um, and... And driving and everyone crazy. They they were and, and there was a lot of driving in cars, which yeah. was I think okay. Why they were driving. I have to point this out though. So that scene where they're driving in cars, um, the car right behind them is a car from American Graffiti, which is all about driving around in cars in the 1950s. So I gotta say, I was really impressed by that. I'm assuming um, it was intentional. It'd be crazy if it wasn't intentional, but I'm assuming it's intentional. I was like, you know what? That's that's really impressive, like kind of out of nowhere for Drive Me Crazy. Um, I also, just according to Wikipedia, now, the, the, my favorite sentence in, in the plot description is, now that they have something in common, Nicole and Chase reluctantly joins forces to navigate the landmines of high school love. And that is the most perfect sentence for this movie because the stakes are so high when all it is is, whether or not somebody might find a, a date to the dance, or do my friends like me because I used to be fat and now I'm pretty. And the plot twists, you can call them loosely that, are so predictable. And then Seventh Heaven Dad randomly pops up, because <laughs> I think this was back when Seventh Heaven was popular. And again, it's a bad movie. I mean, to be it's- fair, like, I remember being in high school and, like, this stuff was real important. And, like, oh, yeah. no, like, you know, history got put on the back burner to make sure notes got passed to their intended audiences, and it was no. But also, this this had the movie the, the feel of a of a of a script of people who were in their thirties and forties who are trying desperately to remember oh, what they felt like yeah. back in high school and not quite getting it right. And like, like a little bit of the like script, you're like, oh, this was written Mad Lib style, where they're like, <laughs> insert cultural reference here. And my favorite one of those is where so the artsy kid who likes making videos, and so they were like, you know, clearly the line was something along the lines of, he's going to be winning Oscars while you're off doing your counter job. And somebody had changed that. I'm sure some executive had changed that to, he's going to be off winning MTV Movie Awards while you're off <laughs> doing your burger job. And so I was like, oh, that's, that's the new thing now. So that's the and main goal. nothing about this movie holds up. But, like, it's, uh, it's, and also earlier that day, Clueless had come on Comedy Central, and I was watching that for about half an hour before I had to go do something. And the fact that they so committed to the, to the times and what was popular at right that very second, it's almost this awesome time capsule to 17 to 13 years ago. 
Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's impressive. I really like, because most of these movies have a makeover scene, you know, where the unpopular character gets in the popular clothes for the first time, and this one had it where they go to the Gap. And so you can really see, oh, those are the clothes that were popular from Tuesday to Thursday when this movie was filmed. Oh, this movie was written because I'm fairly sure this movie was written 12 hours on some sort of cocaine-induced binge where somebody was just like, we need a romantic comedy to come out uh, in October of 1999. And this movie was made for $8 million and, and grossed $18 million at the box office, which is, I'm pretty sure, exactly what the movie studio was going for. Yeah. And for some reason, it plays on Comedy Central once every 12 months, <laughs> and that's how I first saw this movie. And I, it, it's a lot more fun than most of the movies I think we're going to review on this podcast series. First time, first time I heard of this movie was I remember the, watching the trailer in 1999 <laughs> for this movie, and I, I mostly remember it because... I thought it was a Sabrina trailer for a Sabrina the movie thing for like the first three fourths of this movie. And I'm like, the boyfriend on the TV show looks different. I'm not going to be able to get invested in this movie because that's not the right actor playing the boyfriend. <laughs> you just waiting her for her to fix her problems with magic. Yeah, and there's or... not nearly enough magic in this. But so the ending scene, and I guess this might spoil it. So if you're really dedicated to not getting Drive Me Crazy spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> but so the scene where they are at the dance, like a solid half of the trailer comes from that scene. <laughs> so I, I remember that. I remember this one part where they're like, who are we driving crazy? Everybody. And I remember that in the trailer from 1999. And so I was waiting for it, this whole movie. And I was like, I bet that's going to come right at the very end of this show. And that it did. Oh, man. I... I'm not really sure we can say anything this more thing is about like, this movie. I can't say anything bad about this movie because it's so it it it's the exact movie it set out to be and did it with this, perfection. And I can't say anything good about this movie either, but except for it's entertaining. This is the high school romance version of the Expendables, where they were just like, let's get everybody with muscles in a movie and have them shoot things. And that was as far as they went with it. And I can't get mad at the Expendables for doing that. And it's just like, I can't get mad at Drive Me Crazy for what they did. And I will watch these types of movies for the rest of my life just because it's, it's, it's popcorn for me. It's, it's not filling. It's, it's kind of bad for you, but you know exactly what you want. Yeah. No, I enjoyed. I'm a, I'm attracted on the novel one day. I think because this is apparently based on a book. <laughs> oh, I thought that. Uh, I think you were gonna say you were gonna try to track down the novelization of the movie, like they do with the Star Wars, where they just came out with a book companion. Oh, I'd be really impressed. No, this is based on a novel called How I Created My Perfect Prom Date. So impressive. Yep, might might go and track that down at a used book sale one day. Watch it! Watch it be like a really hard-hitting inside look that they fluffed up. It's gonna be this and that movie thirteen. <laughs> We're based on the same book, and they just went totally different directions with it. <laughs> All, right. All right. So next week we're gonna be trying something new. We're gonna be bringing in starting next week once a month. We're gonna start bringing in a guest third podcast host who will be picking the movies out for us that week so we'll be watching whatever they say and 
next week, we're going to start that off with our first guest host. And this guest host is somebody I know very well. It would be my wife, Miss Alec- Mrs., I guess, Mrs. Alexa <laughs> Boschini, who is a journalist. So what movies are we going to be watching next week? All right. Well, since I'm a journalist, we're going to be watching some journalism movies. And I picked three that cover three different types of media. Uh, the first one is Network, which is probably the most classic movie of all the ones that I've picked. Um, you know, with the famous, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Um, covers broadcast television and its kind of um, descent as it rises, I guess. Um, and we're also going to watch uh, The Paper, which is a movie from the 90s with Michael Keaton and Glenn Close about a New York tabloid. And it's one I haven't seen before. Uh, so Joel's I have. I'm so excited like about this. I'm so excited. <laughs> okay. I'm glad that it's a good movie then. And uh, lastly, we're going to watch Shattered Glass, which is about uh, the New Republic magazine, and it's the only one that's based on the true story of a uh, man who was fired from the New Republic for fabricating half of the stories that he and published. This will be about the sixth time Alex and I watched Shattered Glass, <laughs> and the first time we'll watch the it's paper. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> so it'll be a nice blend of movies we have and have not seen. All right. So that's it. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. I think that'll do it for this week of yep. matinee screening. Um, we will see you next week. I'm John Baschini. I'm Joel Leonard. And thanks for listening.